Hello and welcome back to another episode here on Authentic Spoon Nutrition. I'm your host Tess Keatley, an accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist. In today's podcast, I would like to welcome Nicola Jaffrey. Now, Nicola is the founder of her business and body nutrition, and she's also recently started a new business called Grubs for Kids, which, yes, you guessed it, specializes in children's nutrition, which has inspired today's episode. So we'll be talking about all things early childhood nutrition. I'm going to pick Nicola's brains about when the right time to introduce solids is, which types of foods and key nutrients we should be focusing on, how to get around some certain barriers that new mums might face, and all things kids' nutrition. I really hope you enjoy today's episode, so let's get into it. Welcome. We are recording. How are you this morning, Nicola? I'm really well, thanks, Tess. That's How are you? Good. I'm good. I'm excited to have you on the podcast today. I haven't done an episode yet about early life nutrition, so... I'm keen to learn a little bit and pick your brains, and I'm sure my listeners are also interested to hear what you have to say. I like to start my podcast off with asking a bit of a foodie question, and that is, as a dietitian, what is one food that you always have in your fridge? Well, I don't really think of myself as a foodie at all. (laughs) I'm a very basic, you know, home cook, uh, family meal type of person, not very explorative, but, um, I always have milk in my fridge. I couldn't be, I couldn't live without it. So obviously coffee, um, but also like oats in the morning is my go-to breakfast. So yeah always milk yeah that's so funny I recorded an episode yesterday with um Chelsea who's an IBS dietitian and she said the exact same thing so there you go listeners milk a staple you don't need all of those crazy superfoods tell us a little bit about yourself okay so I have three kids I've got three boys mm-hmm. um who all have birthdays in the next well, one was yesterday and the rest are in the next month so oh, wow. they are soon to be six four and soon to be one um so all quite young still yeah (laughs) um so at the moment look there's not a lot going on outside of um kids and work Mm -hmm. but um I have I was a dance teacher um all through high school uni even throughout the start of my sort of dietitian career um so that's probably been my biggest hobby over the years that I love to do, um, and I've really missed that. I stopped teaching when my youngest son was born, mm-hmm. um, and it's something, yeah, I really miss. And I, yeah. I love it. Maybe get back into it when he's a little bit older then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you can manage. Funny. The longer yeah. you're out, the harder it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I guess mm-hmm. the three boys would keep you definitely busy. Are any of them keen to become a dancer like yourself or...? My eldest did two years of sort of like preschool dancing where they do a real mix of um, dancing and music, um, you know, um, acting, singing, all that sort of stuff. But he very quickly probably was too um, calm maybe Mm. for him. (laughs) He very quickly got into footy, basketball, anything where he can run around outside. So, Yeah. yeah. And my other boys really haven't been interested. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there we go. So what inspired you to become a dietitian? Well, I started my uni life in nursing and I always thought I wanted to do some sort of science, medicine type of 
job without doing medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I sort of nursing, I did a year of that and it just wasn't for me, um, particularly after my placement in a hospital. I really have so much um, respect for nurses or anyone that, you know, works in that hospital environment. It just, I just couldn't, it wasn't what I wanted to do. So then I switched over into nutrition as an undergrad and did nutrition and pop health. And I really enjoyed that. And it was kind of a bit more, um, the science was a little bit more what I was picturing nursing was going to be like. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And then I still didn't really know what I wanted to do until kind of the end and then the dietetics pathway came up. So I, I went into the masters um, pretty much the whole time knowing that I wanted to be a sports dietitian and not work in a hospital given the, the experience I had with the nursing degree. Yeah. Um, so that was a bit tricky as because uh, I'm not sure about all the other unis, but, you know, um, I've studied at the University of Wollongong and it's quite heavy in the clinical um like the clinical mm. work and you know especially back when I did it it's really encouraged that you do clinical work and it was just not something that I really wanted to pursue yeah I suppose so yeah but in saying that I really enjoyed it it wasn't something I hated the whole time I really enjoyed it but I just knew that that wasn't my path and I just kind of had, wanted to get that accreditation so I could push forward with sports yeah it's definitely an eye-opener when you first set foot in the hospital when you're a student on your clinical placement like it's very overwhelming especially if you haven't been in a hospital much before so yeah can relate what has been your career journey since you graduated yeah so basically as soon as I graduated in the middle of 2013 I just started my business um naively at the time I just really like I wanted to do sports I didn't really want to move out of Wollongong. Um, my husband and I got married that year as well. And I, yeah, I just sort of had this idea of what I wanted to do and no one was really offering jobs like that. So I just thought, oh, well, I'll just do, do right? it myself. <laughs> Love it. Um, so <laughs> just thinking, you know, it would be easy. Um, so yeah, I started embodying nutrition. I just worked, you know, initially I just worked out of gyms. Um, I had some great contacts. Um, lovely people who would just let me use the tables in the gym floor, like not even an office, just sort of meeting people, you know, at the different locations. And eventually I sort of moved into a little office and a little room. And then, um, yeah, and body's just kind of grown from there. Uh, And then since having kids, obviously I was really starting to get interested in kids' nutrition. And the idea of having a kids nutrition business really didn't come about until you know just before I had my third son um just you know you learn a lot very quickly and even though I was a dietitian it was still really quite overwhelming like the idea of having to look after someone else's (laughs) nutrition and feed them and you know do the right thing and oh yeah it was just along with everything else that comes along with being a new mum Um, so I sort of started looking into it and, um, yeah, this year I've just launched Grub for Kids, which is, um, an online nutrition business, um, with, you know, looking at nutrition from starting solids to five years of age. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. It's funny because we, we learn about, you know, a little bit about 
pediatric nutrition at uni, but then when you actually become a mum, I'm not a mum myself yet, but I feel like on paper, yep, these are all the right things to do, but all of the extra things that are going on in the environment as well would definitely impact that. So it would be very stressful for some mums. I um, told a girlfriend yesterday that I was recording a podcast with you today because she's a new mum as well. And I was like, anything you want me to ask her as as a (laughs) mum yourself? So um, I've got a few questions for you coming up as well. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So why is early life nutrition important to you? I think it's just what I sort of have seen over the last, you know, seven years of seeing adults the impact that the nutrition intake and your habits around food has from childhood just keeps going into adulthood. And I think trying to help parents set their kids up with really good, not just healthy habits, but having a good relationship with food, being, um, um, you know, open to trying new foods, trying to help them set the groundwork for that, you know, um, intuitive eating and, you know, having a good body image and all that kind of stuff is really a big part of why I'm doing what I'm doing. On the flip side of that, it's also, you know, about optimal growth and development and helping kids to, you know, um, grow and flourish and make sure that they're not restricted in any way with their nutrition or their food. Um, so the actual nutrition side of it is one thing, but it's that, grounding in Mm. good dietary behaviors that is probably the biggest um thing that the reason why i think it's so important to get it right from early on yeah definitely and i feel like you're setting the foundation for the rest of their life teach healthy habits while they're young so that when they go into adolescence and adulthood they've already got the foundation ready to go so yeah yeah. it's hard to teach when they're older even even kids in primary school like if they haven't had you know, really good grounding with nutrition. It's hard to teach when they're older because yeah. why would why would they change? Because they've been doing it this way their whole life. Like yeah. it's just changing being... habits is very hard. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. For sure. What are some of the key nutrients that infants under twelve months require or that you would focus on? Okay, so the big one that I focus on a lot is iron. Um there's other ones that are important, but iron is really um, key. Obviously, it's key for growth and development. And if children lack iron, similar to adults, they'll feel fatigued, they might be lethargic, but they can also struggle with their movement patterns and things like that. So they're not going to um, develop as quickly or the way that they should. But infants will store iron from their mothers during pregnancy and they'll get hopefully a really good store of iron and they generally do this regardless of the mother's stores. So if the mother doesn't have a great store or intake of iron, they'll just be deficient and the baby will just take it all, which is good for baby, not so good for mother, but something to consider during pregnancy. Um, But during the first six to seven months of life, those stores start to dwindle and their requirements through the first six months is only sort of 0.2 0.2 milligrams per day and they easily get that from breast milk or formula but from around six months their requirements jump up to 11 milligrams a day because those stores have gone down and it's such a key um, factor for their diet 
so and like just to put that into context like an adult male will require 18 milligrams mm. per day so it's like <laughs> really high yeah. um and those recommendations are based off research done in um populations that eat eat mostly sort of vegetarian um, meals so if you're feeding bub meat or high iron foods um, from six months then you know you probably don't have to be pushing it so hard to reach that recommendation but if your child isn't eating um, animal-based foods that are high in iron then you do have to be a little bit more sort of aggressive with that Mm. Um, but it is, it's really like, that's really hard to yeah, make that recommendation. Hard. I'm just doing like the quick numbers in my head. I'm like, okay, so how would you actually get that for a small, yeah. a small person? I guess yeah. what kind of foods then would you focus on for when you start introducing solids? For yeah. Iron? So from, from the very beginning, you need to be thinking about including, um, red meat, you could include foods like um, like liver and things like that are really high in, in iron, but also needing to consider like how you would serve that to bub um, <clears throat> and if they would tolerate it, which lots of babies do. Um, but things like pulses, um, you know, nut butters, um, tofu, any sort of um, poultry or fish are also, also have iron in them and eggs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's lots of good sources, but it just means you have to be um, consistently thinking about yeah. how you're going to add them into the diet. And a lot of the time uh, when I'm helping to educate parents, it's about putting it into every every feeding situation, trying to have a high iron food in that yeah. Yeah, definitely. In each scenario. Mm-hmm. Any other, yeah, any other key nutrients that you'd focus on as well? So probably the other two biggest things that I would look at are energy because babies need a lot of calories um, and uh, things like calcium are important but obviously uh, probably easier met through breast milk and formula. Um, zinc is important but, again, if you're focusing on iron, you're normally getting your sources of zinc as well mm. alongside that. So um, energy is really important and the fat um content of the meals is really important so babies need you know a lot of energy they need high fat foods um, to make sure that every mouthful is substantial and counts yeah and sometimes they won't eat a lot so that's really important (laughs) yeah or they become quite fussy (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah so you mentioned breast um feeding and formula before um how important is breastfeeding um it's really important. It's uh, something that I think a lot of mothers maybe aren't educated about enough or there's not enough information put out there um, unless you do the research yourself. And I think um, doing that before having babies is really important so you can make a really educated decision once you start to breastfeed because it is really tricky. Um, so... At the moment, it's recommend it's recommended that you breastfeed exclusively till around six months when you start solids, and then um, up to twelve months or beyond if it suits the mother and the baby. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of benefits in terms of um, immunity. It's a big one. So if, for example, uh, mum gets a bug, or like 
stomach bug or has some germs or something, they will build antibodies to fight that. And then that also gets passed through the breast milk so that bubble also get that because nine times out of ten, if you've come into contact with the germs, your, your baby might have also come into contact with the germs. Mm. So that's a really important benefit of breast milk is the immunity factors that are that are passed down through it. There's also, you know, the nutrient composition of it is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and formula is is matched to that. Um, but, you know, there's, it's like food. There's things in food that we just can't really even explain how they work together or why, you know, similar to fish oil, like we know that fish is more um, potent or, you know, has better effects in terms of... Um, heart disease and things like that than a fish oil capsule yeah and you know we just can't even really explain why that is yet so it's similar thing to breast milk there's things in there that are amazing that work together that just can't normally be replicated in formula yeah i remember at uni one of my lecturers said it's the golden milk mm. so, i think in the same breath sorry yeah, you're about to ask no, another question you're right go. in the same breath though it's really important um not to like to let mom mothers know that it's not you know if you can't breastfeed yeah. for any reason you know a mother's mental health is also vitally important to be able to get through motherhood yeah. is number one but to also be able to raise healthy happy kids you need to be a healthy happy person or as close to that as possible so you know reiterating that that formula is a great was the only option if breastfeeding is not possible but just, you know, I think the support and the guidance needs to be there, possibly yeah. more than it is at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And I feel there's a lot of um, shame for new mums who can't breastfeed as well in, like, maybe some mum communities as well. And I think that's a bit sad. They shouldn't yeah. ma- be made to feel um, any less of a mum because they can't do it as well. So mm. with that said, if, say, you're working with a new mum who is unable to breastfeed, do you recommend that they work with a dietitian to find the kind of correct formula for their circumstances? Uh, it's probably something that um, a lactation consultant can uh, help with in yeah. terms of um, helping the mum transition. Like if they can't breastfeed, possibly they could mix feed um, and maybe uh, adjust some things like feeding position just to see if it might work a little better with mm-hmm. some support. Um, but then yes, probably the next step is to, is to get some recommendations around formula, but this might, you know, a doctor could do this, pediatrician might do this, um, but also a dietitian can help you, um, if needed as well. Yeah. What are some of the impacts that early nutrition has then on, sorry, in later life then? So say if the diet isn't adequate when they're young what impact does it have in their future so um probably not so much in the populations that i work with but you know definitely in countries where early life nutrition um there might be issues with access to food or um you know just uh people don't have the right nutrients to be able to feed their kids optimally there's definitely issues with um, growth and development with bone structure uh, you know children getting osteoporosis at an early age Um, but in our sort of communities we're sort of we're seeing things with um, 
you know, obesity, really young in kids and high cholesterol and blood pressure issues in really young children. And that's coming from, you know, their whole lifetime of not eating um, well or – and it's not even – you know, just that they don't have the best diet. It's that they've somewhere along the line things have slipped and mm. they've you know, not been consuming the right nutrients or too much of some nutrients. And it's really having an impact on the health of, you know, adolescents, not even adolescents, sometimes it's younger kids. Yeah. Um, but it's impacting their whole life. And like I said before, the relationship with food and the behaviour change you know, even if they don't have any issues with chronic disease or anything like that, those issues, if they take them into adulthood, are going to have a big impact on, you know, the way that they eat, the way that they live, mm. uh, and then their risk of disease going yeah. forward into adulthood as well. It's so interesting, isn't it? I read a study a while back. I might try and find it and link it in the show notes, but um, it was basically saying that the more varieties of fruits and vegetables that you introduce early on, the more likely they are to develop those tastes when they're adolescents and adults. So they're more likely to accept those foods. So it's so interesting. Hey, and another one was when the mother's, um, when she's pregnant, if she's eating a wide variety of foods as well, that influences the child's then tastes when they develop later on in life. It's so crazy, isn't it? The it's amazing, body. isn't it? Yeah. So amazing. And I think even in early life, like if when you're feeding kids, just the exposure to different foods, even if they don't really eat them or they become fussy and don't eat, you know, a huge variety of foods, just continuing to have that exposure, um, they are more likely to then come around to liking those foods or even just accepting those foods when they're a little bit older than if they're just not exposed to them at all. Yeah, definitely. This is the Um, question that I haven't asked you that I was going to ask you yet, but um, that my girlfriend asked me was she's got a, I think he's 18 months old and he's quite fussy with, um, you know, eating like a stem of broccoli um, and all of those veggies. So she's hiding it now in like soups and sauces and smoothies and stuff like that. Do you think Mm -hmm. that that is a good idea or a bad idea? Because then the child's not kind of, using like trying those new textures and not actually seeing that he's eating broccoli or a carrot or whatever it is it gets tricky doesn't it it does get tricky and I think what one of the biggest things is just trusting your kids to to know when they want to eat something and what they want to eat and I think it's hard when it hasn't been that way from the get-go but by all means, like if you still do those things because you know you're adding more nutrition to yeah. their food, that's cool. Like yeah. I'm, I'm I still do it. That, but I, I still do it to also... my partner. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. Perfect>. yeah. <laughs> <He's> 30, so. <laughs> um, but alongside that, also expose them to that food. So if dinner, you know, just as an example, perhaps they love, like my kids love plain pasta with nothing on it. Like put some plain pasta on a plate. Maybe you have a section plate or you just have a big enough plate that things are, you know, sectioned out. Have some safe foods that they really love. Um, you know, maybe it's plain pasta, maybe it's some cut-up cheese, a bit of chicken, and then put a, put a broccoli stem on the plate. It can be away from the other food. It doesn't have to be touching. Let them know that it's okay if they don't eat it. Like, 
don't worry if you don't win if you don't want to eat it just leave it on your plate and start to make that Mm. a bit of a routine and a bit of a habit with you know maybe you just do it with dinner every night having something on the plate that is new and just letting them look at it you know if they start to touch it or pick it up or play with it like that's a really good sign Mm. so just allowing them to have that um you know exploration with food Mm. is going they're going to be more likely to eventually taste it eat it um if it's there on their plate and they can actually see it and and have a little you know play around with it yeah um but it takes a lot of time and some kids really aren't comfortable with that um especially if it hasn't happened before. So maybe you have it on a separate plate to start with and then you can move it onto their plate eventually. Just Mm. working with your kid and whatever's right for your child as well. Yeah, definitely. It's it's funny that you said about the um, playing with food because I remember when I was younger, you know, like my parents were like, don't play with your food. And then when I became a dietitian, I did some work at a fussy eating clinic with a lot of kids with autism and sensory um, sensory issues and we it was like food time but it was playtime as well so we used to get like peas and like let the kids flick the peas as if they were like little soccer balls and get broccoli and like poke their it's probably hard to explain over a podcast but get it and like climb the way up their arm and like poke it on their cheek or poke it on their lips and just kind of like get a get away from the fear associated with foods and the textures and stuff so I know it yeah, can be quite absolutely. messy playing with food at dinner time, but it's definitely one yes. way to get them to have a bit more of an acceptance with food. So yeah, yeah. and you know what? The more mess, normally the, more the better, and yeah. the quicker they learn. The more mess they make, the quicker they learn about eating, about um, you know their how they put food to their mouth. How, like it'll get cleaner quicker if you let them make a lot of yeah. mess. My cousin has a tarp underneath the high chair. And then she just gets the top and flips it. Such a good it. idea. I know. I was like, that is brilliant. That's, <laughs> That's so great. Yeah, yeah, we often have meals outside on yeah. the grass, like just to kind of avoid that. Yeah. But do what um, you need to do. My friend also has a dog and she said she never cleans yeah. the floor. Like her dog just comes through and cleans everything. <laughs> Vacuum. I love it. <laughs> That's so good. So um, any new mums listening right now, what would be some of your top tips when it comes to, you know, introducing new foods to kids and all of that? Okay. Um, the number one thing I think I would say is don't feel like you need to go and buy heaps of fancy equipment um, or ingredients even to start solids. Like you just need a few basic things, appliances, to be able to give your baby fresh, nutritious food every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I know there's sort of like baby blenders that cost mm-hmm. – you know, six hundred dollars or something. Where yeah. you like just a just a normal blender from Kmart is perfect, or a stick blender um, is perfect. So, don't feel like you need to have all the gadgets to get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is to be prepared to just a little bit of forward thinking. And so much of this, I think I can hear myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure though. Um, you know, so much of this goes over into adult nutrition as well, but just being a little bit prepared, thinking, you know, thinking ahead and having some foods that you've either prepped and are in the freezer or, you know, you've just saved some leftovers from the night before to have at lunchtime the next day is just going to make your life so much easier. And it just means you can give them the food that you want to give them, as in home-cooked, 
fresh and nutritious. I can't hear myself. Yeah. Do you want to get, get it? Can pause. Um, yeah, I might yeah. have to. I think it's yeah. right. <laughs> I'll see you in a second. All right. <laughs> that's the shortest sleep he's ever had <laughs> it's always it'll always happen when you've got something on or when you're doing a meeting or recording a podcast or it's very cute shame the listeners won't be able to see how cute he is <laughs> when do new mums know when it's the right time to introduce solids okay so there's a, some really good signs that you can look out for um this will be around six months of age um, and, you know, how early before six months you start solids is totally dependent on your bulb. So looking for um, good head and neck control is probably the biggest one. So they can um, sit up in a high chair. They don't have to be sitting unassisted. So uh, all of my boys could crawl before they could sit. Um, they just have to be able to sit up with assistance. So that might mean that you have some really good padding in your high chair or you just roll a towel up behind them so that they can sit with a bit of support but that their head isn't flopping to the side or forward like it does when they're little. Um, So they need to be able to hold themselves up. Uh, They also need to have lost their extrusion reflex. So that reflex where if you put something to their mouth, they push it out with their tongue and that's kind of their natural inborn uh, reflex so that they don't choke and put things, you know, swallow things um, when they're little. So that will normally go away around five months. So if you're sort of putting a spoon to your bub's mouth and it looks like they're licking it, then that's the extrusion reflex and they're not really ready to start solids because they're just going to push everything out. Um. Some other signs might be that they, you know, are able to pick up their toys and they're putting them to their mouth. Also that um, they are interested in food, like they're looking at your food, you know, that when you're eating, they're kind of showing a bit of an interest. (laughs) This is interesting also. (laughs) He's trying to get the computer. Um, And there's one more sign. Um... Oh, that they are sort of hungry between milk feeds. So if they're showing a bit more hunger than what their feeds um, are giving them in terms of nutrition, that's another sign. But those last couple alone are not enough to sort of start solids. So if if you're unsure, I would say wait a bit longer, as long as it's not past six months. Um, And you definitely cannot start solids before 17 weeks. they're just their gut is just not mature enough before that time yeah oh they're great tips are there any foods that new mums should try and limit or not expose their children to under the age of 12 months yeah absolutely so um salt is a big one um baby's kidneys are not um developed enough to be able to deal with much salt at all so you know i just advise that you don't add salt to foods or cooking that Um, you're giving to bub, but you can absolutely add herbs and spices. You can add pepper, um, but just not adding that extra salt. And then being careful with ingredients like um, anything that would have salt in it, try and use a salt-reduced version or just avoid those kinds of foods for bub. Mm -hmm. Um, Once they get to one, they can have a little bit more salt in their diet, so you don't have to be as, as sort of strict about that. Um, the same thing for added sugars that we definitely don't want to be giving, um, anything that is 
high in added sugars to bulk because they just don't um, need it and they can't process it as well. So, you know, obviously things like soft drinks, um, juices, cordials, yeah. um, ice creams, like, the, yeah. you know, yeah. um, discretionary foods, I suppose they don't need to be uh, having before one. And then there's a couple of things in terms of food safety. So honey is to be avoided before the age of one because it can cause a bacterial infection called botulism, which is very rare, but it's also um, very harmful if they do get it. And then anything um, like raw or undercooked meat. So meat needs to be cooked all the way through. Um, and then Eggs also need to be cooked completely through for babies under one. So a hard, completely hard yolk. Yeah. Yeah. Great tips. So we've spoken a lot about um, the infant, but what can new mums do to support their health with um, a new baby? Because I guess if you're not really taking care of yourself, then how can you really take care of a little one? So really important. Do you have any tips there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think if you have support and people around you who are willing to help you make sure you ask for help if you need it and it's really hard um especially if you're quite an independent confident person Mm -hmm. which I sort of considered myself to be uh having kids is a huge transition and it feels unusual to not be able to do things yourself and and just know everything and be able to cope but I it's it's just so massive and it's just so like the way I felt was probably the only other time I'd felt like that was on my my dietetic placement yeah just totally out of my depth yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a little bit overwhelmed um so yeah if you have help around make sure you ask for it and take take the time out if you can get it um have some food prepared and on hand or if again if you've got people who are willing to help you out and make you some food to have in the freezer like just being able to feed yourself well is a really good thing to prioritize because it will make you feel better it will keep you fueled you know there's so many benefits not just to eating healthy but to having good quality food in your system um will will make a big difference um, but also second to that, have some meals that you don't have to cook mm-hmm. on hand, you know, rice and tuna or yeah. just things that you've got in the freezer that you just do not have to cook and think about. You can just pull out baked beans on toast, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, obviously seek help if you need it. So, um, if you're feeling down or like you're struggling at all, just, you know, go and get help before it gets worse yeah or before it gets to a point where you feel that you really can't cope you know talk to someone about it because there's no I just can't reiterate enough how much of a big like a massive transition it is looking after someone full-time um and then be really kind to yourself like really be kind to yourself because it's (laughs) temper so much pressure on yourself for sure yeah yeah yeah. it doesn't like you see all these mums on instagram who've like you know, they write captions that are like, oh, this is such a tough time, but their photos are beautiful yeah. and their babies are perfect. <laughs> yeah. I I just, it's just not like that. Like I just remember thinking, like, when is this fun? Like when does yeah. it get good? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <you do. laughs> because this is really hard. Yeah. Uh, 
So be kind to yourself. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely interesting. Me, obviously, not having any kids yet and then seeing it on Instagram, I'm like, oh, wow, that looks so easy. You know what I mean? And then I hang out with my friends who have babies and they're like, don't trust anything you see on Instagram. I'm like, yep, okay, thank you for making this, like, reality now for me. Yeah. Showing me that really every day that. is, like, you know, perfectly, you know, a highlight reel on Instagram. So it's definitely good. I actually follow, yeah. like, a few mums who are just super raw and open and I love it because they're, you know, they talk about bad days and good days and all of that too. So, yeah. Just, it's just nice to know that, like, oh, I'm not the only one whose kid, like, goes mental in the evening. Yeah. Like, trying to home, you know? It's really nice to get that back up. Yeah, for sure. So what's what's next for you now? So you're obviously – it sounds like you're a very driven person, you know, with your two businesses, starting a business straight out of uni, three boys. Um, where do you hope to see yourself in the next three years? With Grub – the next couple of years really is about just growth, exposure, like getting our message out there to other mums. And uh, this, we are, I'm super, super close to having our online program, like a starting solids yep. program ready to go, which was supposed to be this year, but probably will be next year now that we release that. So yep. that's going to be kind of my biggest focus is, you know, trying to get that into the hands of new mums so that they have information that's trustworthy but also just you don't need to go down the Google rabbit hole, which yeah. you do go down <laughs> <laughs> um, for lots of things as a new parent. But hopefully, my you know, my goal with the program is just that they have one place to go to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one place to go to and they know that that's, you know, the right information. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so where where can people find you? So anyone listening who's thinking, you know, is about to have a baby in the next year or so and they're interested in the course, the program, yeah. where can they find you? What's your Instagram and your website? So Instagram is just um, at grub for kids um, and the website is grubforkids.com.au. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we're also um, on Instagram and um, website um, for Embody Nutrition, which is just our my adult nutrition um, business. So Instagram is at embody.nutrition and the website is embodynutrition.com.au. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I've definitely learned a few things about um, early childhood nutrition. And thank you so much to all of the listeners. We'll see you in our next episode.